I'd like to begin by telling you, uh, sharing with you some words from, from one of the greatest theologians of our day, a man named Emo Phillips. Emo's not actually a theologian, he's a comedian. <laughs> not terribly well known, but one of the things I love about Emo is he makes some observations about faith and about God, and he just kind of has a way of zeroing in on the human condition and who we really are. And Emo once said, he once said, I, when I was a child, I prayed for a new bicycle. But then I realized that the Lord doesn't work that way. So I stole a bicycle and prayed that God would forgive me. <laughs> we don't always understand how prayer works. You know, why, why does God need us to ask for stuff? Why does He need us to pray? We don't understand how prayer and petition works. And, and I don't think we have a better handle on, on how confession works. There are times when confession, there's times when confession just seems to make us more neurotic. I don't know about you, but I, I think I've become more neurotic at times when I've thought about confession. When I was a kid, uh, I didn't pray for a bicycle or steal a bicycle, mind you, but when I was a kid, I was taught that I was supposed to say my prayers every night. And so I would say my prayers at night, and I was told that I was supposed to confess my sins to God. And so I started confessing my sins to God when I was a child. And uh, one of the things that used to bother me was, what if I forget a sin? What if I'm confessing my sin and I forget one? Or, or what, if, what if I'm confessing my sins and I'm saying my prayers at night and I fall asleep and I don't get all my prayers confessed? What, you know, my, all my sins confessed. What's going to happen? I mean, am I going to stand there before God one day and He pulls out the books and He's going to say, Brett, uh, did you not think that, te that talking in class was, was worth confessing? Did you not think that was a big deal? I'm sorry, we can't let you in. And so I developed what I consider to be kind of an escape clause. So I would, I would say my prayers, I would confess my sins, and then I would say in my, in my prayers, I would say, and if there's been anything else that I can't remember, but I've offended you in some way, or I've done something wrong for that, I am truly sorry. And I covered all of my bases with that prayer. Now, I've, I've come to understand that forgiveness doesn't work that way. I hope you understand Forgiveness doesn't work that way also. I think we understand that God's grace is all-sufficient. We sing that God's grace is all-sufficient anyway, that He washes away all of our sins whiter than snow, right? And that realization might cause us to question the value of confession. What's, what's the point? If God's grace is all-sufficient, why do I need to, to confess my sins? I mean, we love to say that, that God doesn't remember our sins. As far as the east is from the west, I have scattered your sins there away from me. I, I remember them no more. So what's the point? What's the point of confession <clears throat> if we're just rehashing things that God has already forgotten? And yet there it is in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our debts. Except some of you say, forgive us our trespasses, and that's fine too. I hear you every Sunday or every first Sunday of every month, forgive us our trespasses. If we're forgiven, if we're, if we're forgiven, if we're clean, th then what is there to confess? Maybe we confess how good we are, how righteous we are. Oh, Lord, you're, you're lucky to have us. Or is confession something more? Is confession something more honest before God? We're going to look at Luke chapter 18 today. Luke 18, verses 9 through 
14, if you've got that blue Bible in front of you, it's page 877. But Luke 18, it's a little parable that Jesus tells us. It starts off, Luke writes, He, that is Jesus, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so Jesus tells this parable, this parable two men, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank You that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust. That's, that's God thundering, isn't it? Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector stood far off. Standing far off, he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I think it's only natural that we read this parable. It's only natural for us to wonder which one is us. Which one am I more like? Am, am I more like the Pharisee or am I more like the tax collector? Am I like the Pharisee telling God how good I am? Or are we like the tax collector? Every, everyone knew that tax collectors were sinners. Everyone knew that tax collectors were condemned, that they were lost. Do we see ourselves represented by one of these two men? And, and if we look at these men, well, we, we look at the Pharisee, and we have to ask the question, who is the Pharisee trying to convince? Who's he trying to convince here? So we're following the examples of the disciples here. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples go to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And so we're looking at what we learn in the Gospels. Everything in the Gospels that Jesus teaches us about prayer. And so we come to this parable about two men going to the same place. They're going to the temple. Two men who, who are going there to pray, but they couldn't be more different. And yet here they both stand in the temple. It, it, they, they both stand before the place where God's Spirit dwells. Both of them praying, and yet their prayers could not be more different. The Pharisee, Pharisee, a man who had devoted himself to the study of the law, a man who lives out his commitment, who keeps the commandments and ensures that other people do too. He's watching you to make sure that you're keeping the commandments. So surely he has the right to stand in this place in front of the altar and pray and confess. So, so what does the Pharisee confess? He confesses, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. I thank you that I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give 10% of my income to you. In fact, God, you should be thankful that I'm not like that guy. So who's he trying to convince of his own righteousness? Is he trying to convince God? Well, I think we would have to, have to admit God knows who this man is. God knows what this man is like. We, we read it earlier, didn't we? In Psalm 139, verses 1 and 2, O Lord, You have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. 
So God knows who He is. Is He trying to convince other people? I've always imagined that He's praying loudly when I read this parable. That He's praying loudly. He says, I fast twice a week! You know, the the law actually required the, the people of Israel to fast once a year. Once a year was all they were required to fast. This man does it twice a week. Look at me, he says. And, and, and so I've always wondered, but Jesus is very careful to point out that he stood by himself. He stood by himself. You stop and think about it. That man standing there telling God how good he is, are you going to want to stand next to him? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll let you do that over there. I'll, I'll be over on this side. And so I wonder who he was trying to convince. Is, is he trying to convince himself of just what a good guy he is? Is he trying to convince himself of how righteous he is? Because deep down, he knows all the stuff that's actually inside there. He knew the thoughts that haunted him. He knew those feelings that he could not get rid of. He, could fool, he couldn't fool God and he couldn't fool anyone else. Was he trying to fool himself? And maybe we think to ourselves, we're kind of like that Pharisee sometimes. And we realize we aren't fooling anyone. We're not even fooling ourselves. But what about the tax collector? You, know, you, you hear the tax collector's prayer and you realize that the tax collector wasn't telling God anything that he didn't already know. The tax collector stands or the Pharisee stands close to the altar declaring his virtues, all that he's done right. And then we read in verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You hear it in his posture, don't you? And you hear it in his position. He stands far off. He is not worthy. He beats his breast and tells God exactly who he is, that he is unworthy. He is a failure. And what Jesus wants you and I to see isn't just how miserable our sin should make us, but that this is the heart of confession. The heart of confession is telling God what he already knows. The word confess, confess, means to say the same thing. When we confess, we say the same thing. You and I, Bob, you and I decide we're going to go to Las Vegas for the weekend, right? And we're on the plane trip back. And so on the plane trip, we have a conversation, right? We're saying the same thing. And in that conversation, we say, okay, here's the story. Here's what we tell people happened. Because I don't need you telling something different than what I'm going to tell. I, I, we need people to still know that our stories are the same. We've got to get our stories straight. When you confess, you are saying the same thing. You're saying the same thing as God. We're admitting to God what He already knows about us because we can't fool Him and we shouldn't try to fool ourselves either. I want you to hear that clearly. Confess means to say the same thing. When I was a kid, I used to come to church. I used to come to church over there in the parking lot. And I used to sit there. And every now and then, something the preacher would say would convict me. And I would start to feel kind of miserable. And I would start to realize I probably need Jesus in my life. I need to get saved. 
I was scared that I wasn't going to go to heaven. I was scared that I wasn't going to be with Him. And so every now and then, the preacher would say something and I would be convicted. And I would think, I, I need that. I need to go forward. I need to accept Jesus as my Savior. So, I would come to church and I would hear the things that the preacher was saying and I'd be convicted. i think, I need that. I need to become a Christian. And then the preachers would always say the same thing. If anyone would like to make Jesus their Savior today... Come forward and say the good confession. And that's where they lost me because they never told me what the good confession was. And all I knew was when I heard the word confession, I just imagined all of those things I'd seen on TV and in the movies where you go into a little booth and you tell someone everything wrong that you've done. And I, I knew I was absolutely the worst 13-year-old kid anyone had ever encountered. And I was not about to go tell them all the horrible things that I had done as a 13-year-old. So I said, no, I'm not doing that. That seriously kept me from Christ for a long time because no one told me what the good confession actually was. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, or if you confess in your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the good confession. You believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you confess Him as your Lord. That's all it is. But even with that usage, even a very different idea of what we're confessing, we're saying the same thing, aren't we? Because we're saying, I need a Savior. And God is saying, I gave you a Savior. You've got a Savior. I'm, I'm taking care of that. I didn't realize what good confession meant. You, you need a Savior. God's saying, I've given you a Savior. And what Jesus is telling us here is that when it comes to our prayers, when it comes to our confession, when it comes to seeking forgiveness for our sins, confession is us, confession is us recognizing what God already knows about us. And I think that's a great place for us to begin in understanding the value of confession as part of prayer. Our sin, our shame might hold us back from giving ourselves completely to God. Our shame might keep us from being completely honest to God. <laughs> Trust me, you're not going to surprise Him. You're not going to surprise Him about who you are and, and, and what you've done. God's not sitting up there listening to your prayers and when you confess something, He's not going, you did what? It, it, you can't surprise Him. He knows you. He already knows. He already forgives. So what's the point? What's the point of confession? Confession is for our benefit. Confession is for your benefit. Confession reminds you of why you need a Savior. In this book, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer, Sky Jatani compares confession with generosity. You and I, we give money, right? We, we give. I see you putting put an offering in. I see you put money in the buckets. I, 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 every now and then we get a little something extra from somebody. Well, we know how to be generous. Does God need your money? No. Cattle on a thousand hills belong to Him, right? He's got it all. And yet, we need to give because when we give, it changes our hearts. Generosity makes you more compassionate. Generosity makes us more caring. Generosity allows us to see the needs of others more clearly and see that we can help meet those needs. And likewise, confession allows us to recognize that there are elements in our lives that are not like Jesus. 
And when we name those elements, when we turn them over to Him, He not only cleanses us, but He changes us. And and that act of confession allows us to see that change, to be a part of that change. John put it this way, 1 John 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Do you remember the Pharisee? What did he confess? I'm good, God. (laughs) I've got this. I don't even really need you. In fact, you need me, God, because I can tell you everything this guy did wrong. Verse 9, John goes on, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does Jesus end the story? Verse 14, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Confession is recognizing what God already knows about us. That is why confession is such a vital part of our prayer life. It's something that we should not neglect. Richard Foster put it this way, we lift even our disobedience into the arms of the Father. He is strong enough to carry the weight. Sin, to be sure, sin separates us from God, but trying to hide our sin separates us all the more. One of the most haunting psalms to me has always been Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. If I had cherished sin in my heart, if I had held on to it, He would not have heard my prayers. God stands ready to agree with you about your sin, about your need, and about the power of His grace. And we shouldn't miss that right after this story, right after the parable of the tax collector and the, and the Pharisee, the very next story that Luke recounts for us, continuing on in verse 15, now they were bringing even infants to Him that He might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the disciples to Him saying, let the children come to Me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It's not an accident. That's not there by accident. That's there for us. That's there for everyone who's ever beat their breast asking God for mercy. Those of us who have exhausted ourselves at night wondering, what if I forgot one sin? What if I forgot just one sin? Even even my worst day of parenting... Even my worst day of parenting, I would hope that my kids never exhausted themselves wondering whether or not Daddy forgave them. I would hope that they wouldn't have done that. Worrying whether or not I forgave. That's your Heavenly Father. That's His love. Now maybe it's been a while since you gave any real attention to confession in your prayer time. So I want to give you this assignment for the coming week. The assignment is this. Just spend some time in confession. Spend some time in confession in your prayer time. Not to rehash everything that you've done wrong, but to remind yourself of why you need a Savior. Confession is saying the same thing. As you confess to God your need for a Savior, He stands ready to say, I sent you. I've sent you a Savior. Now, there's another part of confession I want to encourage you to explore also. Prayerfully consider, is there someone you need to forgive? 
Is there someone you need to forgive? When we say the Lord's Prayer, we always say those lines. It's right there. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And since you and God agree on your need for a Savior, is there someone for whom you can pray? Someone for whom you can say, maybe it's not, maybe it's not about, about your hurt. Maybe it's about their hurt. Is there someone you could pray for? Is there someone you could even speak to and say, whatever it is that you're carrying, whatever it is that's got you beating your breast and feeling unworthy, you are forgiven. Can you give that kind of gift to someone? I'm going to share communion here in just a moment. And we can't share communion without reminding ourselves of the price of our own forgiveness that it cost Jesus His life. Communion declares it cost Him His body broken, His blood shed, that we might know His peace, that we might know forgiveness. And as we take, as we take communion... We take within ourselves that, that very love and that very being of, of Jesus. This is my body. This is my blood. And we remind ourselves that you and I are now carrying that kind of love and that kind of grace into our world. Who needs to know that firsthand? Who needs to know His peace? Who needs to know His forgiveness? And can they first know it through you? Can they first know it through us? Let me pray and then we'll sing and we'll take together. Father, forgive us our debts. <laughs> we would confess our debts to You. We would confess that we have, we have misspent our energy, our lives. We have, we have given our attention to things that didn't belong to us. And we find ourselves in the debt to You because of our sin. And we ask Your forgiveness of those debts. Forgive us our trespasses. We have stepped into places we should not have stepped. We've said words that we should not have said. We, we've gone places we should not have been. And we confess to You our trespasses. And we thank You, Lord, that when we bring those to You, we do not have to sit there in our shame. We do not have to sit there worrying over Your wrath but You encounter us at our sin and You encounter us with grace. We thank You for this bread and this cup that remind us of that gift. And Father, there are those in our lives who, are, who need to know that and they will, not, <laughs> they will not know it unless we show it to them. And so I pray that we can show them the forgiveness that You've offered us. I pray that they can know something of Christ's love through the way that we love them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.